Begin at verse number 22, Mark chapter 11, verse number 22, and um, you know, sometimes I just have things on my heart, and I, it's not that I am, you know, don't make notes, but sometimes I just have things on my heart that I just want to just kind of, I guess you might call it freestyling, you know, where I just want to share as the Holy Spirit gives me the words to say, um, and then other times I feel like before I ever get up here in front of you, he's, he's given me almost word for word what to say. It's more orchestrated. And tonight's one of those nights. There's some really specific things that I think he's wanting to say to us. And so even some of it, I may be looking at my notes, just reading it to you, um, kind of as he laid it on my heart uh, in, in the way that he laid it on my heart to give to you. Um, but let's begin at verse number 22. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now I want to just emphasize, there's so many important phrases and words in here, but of late our study has focused on um, stopping doubt. We've said that doubt does not come without assistance that doubt is strategic from our adversary. He knows that if he can't get the jury of your heart to doubt, then what Father has already ruled in your favor will come to pass in your life. And so his strategies against you when it comes to the trial of your faith are all directed towards, um, again, just producing doubt um, in your heart. And so notice Jesus says, if whoever says to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Multiple translations say, believe that you've already received them, and you will have them. Faith, at its very essence, faith because of the very nature of what it is, uh, means believing you've already received something you don't yet see or feel. If you wait till you see it or feel it or something changes to believe it, that's not faith. Faith believes it's already changed, that it's already uh, different, that it's already healed and the need's already supplied before there's any physical change to confirm it. You say, well, what evidence do we have? That's why the Bible says faith is the evidence. Faith is the evidence. Now, we looked the last two weeks, we looked at some verses. I'm not going to go back to those verses but verse after verse after verse where we see in the scriptures we're told to only believe or we're told to not doubt or, or as in one place it says doubting nothing. Only believe, doubting nothing. To only believe means to believe in nothing else. And doubting nothing means to not doubt at all. So in this particular passage, Jesus did not say, if you only doubt a little bit, you'll be fine. He didn't say if you, know, if you mostly believe and only doubt or if you believe more than you doubt. That's not what he said. He said, and does not doubt in his heart, then whatever he says will come to pass. It will be done. Now, I want us tonight, and we kind of hem-hawed around on this last week, and, and I apologize for not being more direct. Sometimes when I hem-haw around things, it's because I'm not wanting to offend people, and, I'm, and, and just pray for me, I, you know, again, I'm not saying that's right, I'm just telling you, um, but I want us tonight, 
to put this question to bed once and for all. And I actually heard some people talking about this um, not too long ago on the radio. And it's this idea, or, or maybe we could just call it a question, can you believe in your heart and still doubt in your head? And, and I know that there are some really uh, important, powerful people who preach and teach on the subject of faith who say that, yes, indeed, you can. And for some reason, as much as I love and respect these men and women, that's never, it's just never seemed right for me. And so I took it before the Lord because I want to, let me just say it another way. I took it before the Lord because there's too much at stake here to be wrong about this. And, and I think that this particular, let me, let me get back to my notes, okay? Um, Asked another way, can you doubt in your head then without doubting in your heart? And so I'm not trying to be controversial, but there's a lot at stake and we cannot afford to be confused here and we certainly can't afford to be wrong here. I know there are those who disagree with me, but based upon our understanding of what the heart is, the idea of doubting in the head but not in the heart simply doesn't make sense. Okay? Now, I'm not here to give you opinion. If I should ever on a rare occasion give you my opinion or say something that is subjective, I will wave a big red flag and say, this is Pastor Mark's opinion. Okay? You didn't come here for my opinion. You're not tuned in tonight to hear what I may think about something. We're here to know what Father God has to say about these things. So it's not what somebody wrote in this book or what somebody said in this program or what somebody else you know, has in mind when it comes to these things. I believe if there's, a, if there's a sincere question and a desire to know the answer to that question, Jesus promised us that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth and that He would lead us and guide us into all truth. Now, let me, let me give you a little background too because I believe this is one of the subtle ways that doubt sneaks into our hearts. We spent two weeks talking about this lie that so many people believe, and it's a lie that says it's impossible for us to only believe doubting nothing. Notice, if you doubt, it's impossible to not doubt. I'm not just talking in circles here. Notice how the enemy has already snuck faith in your heart and basically has defeated you before you ever even try to believe God for something in your life. If, if there's something uh, in your heart that says everybody's going to doubt and I'm going to doubt and there's, again, this is one of those subtle tactics of the enemy where he's trying to slip doubt in and you not even know that he slipped it in there. And this is another one of those areas that I believe the enemy's behind this. I believe, and I'm just going to be bold about it tonight, is that okay? I believe it's the enemy who wants us to think that we can doubt in our head but not doubt in our heart. I believe he's behind that. I believe he's the one who who is wanting us to embrace this concept. Now, one of my favorite quotes from Brother Copeland He says, fear tolerated is faith contaminated. And I believe the same is true with doubt. In other words, I believe doubt 
coming into our heart, it will contaminate our faith. Or, or we could even say, and, and I know this is a stronger word, if fear tolerated is faith contaminated, then I believe doubt tolerated is faith corrupted. Because doubt will corrupt faith. It will render it inoperative. It will render it ineffective. Doubt is like kryptonite. Is Doubt to your faith is like kryptonite to Superman. And we've been over the verses. I'm not going to take the time because I want us to dig into some other things tonight. But we see where the Bible clearly says that the man who doubts in his heart should not expect to receive anything from God. And so he didn't say if he only doubts a little bit or if he only doubts in his head. I think there, there, are, there are words here when, when we say, you know, you can believe in your heart and, and, and doubt in your head, and if you doubt in your head and believe in your heart, that somehow we've, you know, we've hacked the faith system. That we've figured out some way to, uh, to keep doubt and still say that we're believing God because we've kept this doubt in our brain and somehow the doubt hasn't, you know, shifted down to our hearts and so we're still golden. But I'm telling you tonight, based upon what the Bible teaches us about these things, I do not believe that is the case. I do not believe that, that this is accurate. So let me, let me kind of walk you through it tonight. When we say doubting in the head but still believing in the heart, the head, what we really mean by the head is not wearing a hat that says doubt on it. We're talking about the brain. And the head or the brain is where the thoughts from the mind interface with the body. Your mind is the main element of your soul. Your soul is your mind, emotions, and will. The brain and the mind. Listen to me now. You've got to dig into it. It's going, it's going to require some thought on this, okay? This is, I think, where a lot of people um, who say you can doubt in your head and not in your heart, they, they don't understand that the mind and the brain is not the same thing. The mind and the brain is not the same thing. The brain is a physical organ. The mind is not physical. The soul, which the mind is a component of the soul, the soul is not physical. No more than the spirit, the spirit of a man is physical. The spirit and the soul are, are not matter. They're not material. And so when we talk about the brain, the brain is an elaborate glove that the mind slips its hand into. Let me say it another way. The brain is an amazing organ that God created and among other functions that it performs is it gives expression to the mind that lives inside of your body. Amen? Am I, I feel like I'm really loud tonight. Am I loud? Is it too loud out there? Okay, I'm, I'm hearing an echo somewhere. So I just make sure you're good. All right. So it's, there's an interface. And, and so, like for instance, we see where people have been brain dead and they died and their spirit and soul separated from their body and then they, they were brought back to life or resuscitated or, or miraculously resurrected, whatever the case, and they have vivid memories of that experience. Their, the physical organ of their brain is no longer firing electrical synapses, but they have a memory of leaving their body and, and, and the things that were going on around them, they come back into their body, they awaken 
at that moment or days later, and they tell people about the experience and their memories of it, people that were in the room, things that were happening. Pam and I went and prayed for a lady one time, and, and she, they, they had given up on her. They said she was, that basically she was dead. They already called in the family. Her blessed mother was sitting there in the waiting room just waiting any minute for, for them to tell her she was gone. And I went back, and, and they would only let one of us back at a time. Of course, Pam's praying out in the, in the waiting room. And I went in there, and I laid hands on her, and I did what we do, man. We just, you know. And, and um, you probably know how the story ends, or else I wouldn't be telling it, right? You know, um, she was healed, and, and, and amazingly so. But here, here was the phenomenal thing. She asked, I didn't know her personally. I knew her, her sister is like family to Pam's family. And, um, and she asked, after she got out of the hospital, she asked if she could see me, if she could talk to me. I'm like, of course. And what she told me, again, the, the, the vivid memories. And she talks about, she said that while her body was in that ICU room, that she was... All the way that she could describe it is like she was in a basement. She goes, it was like we were in a, in, a, in a basement that was dark and I was chained to a wall and I couldn't get out of the basement and there were other people in there and she said, people would come down the stairs and we would all start hollering for somebody to help us and then they would go back up the stairs and she gave description of all the different people that came into her hospital room and prayed for her, all the way down to a priest and the collar that he wore. She had vivid memories of all of this. Okay? She said, then one day you came down the steps. She says, but when you came to the bottom step, you didn't turn around and go back up the steps. When you came to the bottom steps, you came all the way into the room and you took those chains off of me. Okay, all right. Now see again, for all intents and purposes, she's dead. She's dead. But when she comes back, she has all these memories. Now you say, well, Pastor Mark, that's kind of spooky. And that's not spooky. It's, this is who we are. We're spirit beings. Okay, but again, what I'm trying to show you is that she didn't see me with her physical eyes. She, that information didn't come into her meat computer. It came into her mind because your mind and your brain are not the same thing. Your brain gives expression to the mind that's plugged into it. One day, your brain is going to return to the dust from which it came unless we go by way of rapture. But your mind will live on. Your memories will live on. So when we say the head or the brain is it, where the thoughts from the mind interface with the body, your mind is the main element of your soul, your mind, emotions, and will. The brain and the mind are not the same thing. So let me ask you a few questions. Can you have a thought in your brain without the cooperation of your mind? No. Your mind can think without your brain, but your brain can't think without your mind. Are you seeing, are you understand what I'm saying here? Some of you look like, where in the world did this guy come from? No, no, come on back, come on back in here with me. Think, think, think for now what I'm saying. 
Can you have a thought in your brain without the cooperation of your mind? No. The thoughts that are expressed in our brain, the, 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 the thinking that takes place in our brain is an expression of the mind that's plugged into it or interfaces with it. Okay? So I'm going to ask you the question again. Can you have a thought in your brain without the cooperation of your mind? The answer is no. So can your mind then function apart from your soul? The answer to that question is no again, but let me explain the, let me explain the question. Your soul is, the, is that unique part of you that is your mind, your emotions, and your will. It's, it's three very powerful and connected elements. We were talking about this on Sunday morning. Your, your mind is the driver of your soul. In other words, your thinking fuels your emotions. And then your emotions influence your choices. But your soul is this component of you, your mind, your emotions, and your will. The idea that your, your mind can somehow operate independently of your soul. You say, well, Pastor Mark, why, why are you even saying that? Well, I'm, I'm saying that because of the next question. Can your soul operate separately from what the Bible calls your heart? So your heart... Your heart is, is by definition, this isn't my opinion, I'm telling you what the Bible says about this. The word in the original language is the Greek word cardia. We get our English word cardiac from that word, but in this case it's spelled with a K, K-A-R-D-I-A, and it means everything about you that's not material, the totality of the immaterial man. Your heart is the combination of your spirit and your soul. Okay? Your heart is the combination of your spirit and your soul. So, can your soul operate separately from your heart? No, because your heart is your spirit and your soul. Your heart is your spirit and your soul. Can your mind function apart from your soul? No. Can you have a thought in your brain without the cooperation of your mind? No. I'm trying to show you the links here. Your brain is dependent upon your soul. Your soul is, is, is connected to and is part of your heart. So this idea that we can somehow have an isolated uh, compartment in our meat computer that's full of doubt, but somehow that doesn't have anything to do with our heart is, 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 a, is a complete misunderstanding of what the heart is, which is the spirit and the soul combined. It's a complete misunderstanding of what the soul is because the soul is the mind, will, and the emotions. And it's a complete understanding of how the brain functions in the first place. It gives interface and expression to the mind that's plugged into it. So if you have doubt in your head, it's your mind that's doubting. And if your mind is doubting, your mind is a part of your soul. And if your soul is doubting, your soul is a part of your heart. Which means there's doubt in your heart. So how can you doubt in your head without your mind being involved? How can your mind be a part of something your soul is not? And how can your soul be a part of something your heart is not? All right, let's go to Romans 4. Praise God. That took me longer than I thought it was going to take. I'll ask you if you agree with me later. I'm just asking you, am I making sense? Is this making sense to you? 
Okay. Do you see why I believe it's a deceptive trick of the enemy? Oh, just go ahead and doubt. Just keep it in your head. Don't, just don't let it get in your heart. <laughs> what you're experiencing in your head is your soul, and your soul is one half of your heart. How does faith, how does, faith gets in the heart, how God put faith there, and then faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But how does doubt get in the heart? Remember, it always comes through the doorway of the mind. Your born-again spirit believes everything God has ever said. The default position of your born-again spirit is faith. Your born-again spirit is stuck on faith. You could blast it with stardust and it, and it, wouldn't, it wouldn't doubt anything God's ever said. Doesn't know how to doubt. Your born-again spirit doesn't know how to doubt. It can't doubt. It can't doubt any more than God can doubt. Because remember, your born-again spirit has become one spirit with God's spirit. You and God became one in spirit. And, and the only way your born-again spirit could doubt is if God doubted. You imagine God saying, you know, I, I doubt there's a God. <laughs> I doubt that, that, that he's good. I doubt that it's his will to heal. No, he knows all this. And just as he knows it, you know it. Romans chapter 4, verse 19. Speaking of Abraham and his faith, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Let me stop right here because... There's a whole lot of stuff. But notice, you can be weak in faith or you can be strong in faith. Okay? Now, I, I feel compelled so many times during this study that we're not just talking about some generalized, you know, my Catholic faith, my Pentecostal faith, my Southern Baptist faith. We're not, no, no, that's not what we're talking about. You can be strong or weak in that also. But this, the context of this, as is the context of our study, is receiving into your life reality that which Father God has promised and freely given to you. The context of this, God promised Abraham in his old age a son. Amen? As a matter of fact, God said to him, I have made you the father of a multitude. Before he ever had a single child. God said, I made you this. Now, what is Abraham's part in this? Abraham's part in this is to believe it. Is to believe God. Is to believe the God who says, I have made you the father of many nations. And the challenge is to believe that he's already a father before he ever holds one of his own children in his arms. To believe that he is a father before his wife Sarah ever has a baby bump, amen, in her lower abdomen. Are you, before, before he sees it or feels it, believe that he's already received it. Remember, faith believes you've already received something you don't yet see or feel. Now, notice what Abraham learned. This phrase, he did not waver at the promise of God. This word is the same word. Uh, it, it ties in with 
that same word in James 1 where he talks about like a wave of the sea driven and tossed. He's talking about a double-minded man. He's talking about a man who on one hand believes and on the other hand questions and doubts. Double-minded. What do he say about that man? He's unstable in all of his ways. Because of the doubt in his heart, he should not expect to receive anything from God. He did not waver the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And look at this next verse, 21. And being fully convinced. King James Version says, and being fully persuaded. Not partially persuaded, not mostly convinced, not pretty sure in my heart, but still some doubt in my head. No, 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 that's not what he said. It says he was fully convinced that what God promised he was also able to perform. Now, a few things to point out here. The first is the word consider. Of all the different elements that make you up as a human being, what part do you think considering takes place in? The mind. Am I right about this? The mind is where you consider. The mind is where you consider. If you are considering a piece of chocolate pie for dessert, that means you're thinking about it. Right? You're thinking about it. Now, if you consume a piece of chocolate pie for dessert, I'm not saying your mind's not a part of that, but it's gone from something you're thinking about to something your body is enjoying. Your flesh is enjoying it. Are are you hearing what I'm saying? But before you eat the pie, while you're still considering whether or not you're going to have the pie, the consideration is not taking place in your spirit. It's not taking place in your flesh. It's taking place in your soul. Generally speaking, your soul. And specifically speaking, you consider with your mind. Okay? Now, because the mind is a part of the soul and the soul is a part of the heart, you're actually considering this in your heart. Right? See, we, we try to complicate this so much. No, I'm just, I, I like pie and I want some pie and I think I'm going to have me some pie. It's got nothing to do with my heart. Again, if it has to do with your mind, it has to do with your soul. If it has to do with your soul, it has to do with your heart. I learned something from Keith Moore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you with this, okay? And it's really helped me. And you may think this is not that big a deal. If it's not that big a deal, then you don't have to concern yourself with it. But you ask the Lord whether or not it's a big deal before you write it off, okay? He said we should not use the word love when we're talking about objects. We should only use love when we're talking about people. I like chocolate pie, but I love you. See, it cheapens the word. When we talk about all these things we love, I love this, I love that, I love this, I love that. So then when we really try to say to somebody we, we love them, it's like, well, I wonder if they love me as much as they love that chocolate pile over their face. Okay, just, amen. You consider with your mind what had Abraham learned from God that there were certain things he must refuse to consider. 
This would involve the mind. This would be speaking of something called mental effort or mental discipline. Does the Bible have anything to say about you and me managing our own thoughts? It has a lot to say about that. How about guard your heart? How about don't let your heart be troubled? What is it that troubles our heart? What is it that troubles our heart? What troubles our heart is things going on around us or things that we think about, things that we've done in the past. But notice, anything that would trouble your heart, it has troubled your heart because of something you're thinking about with your mind. It's like, well, I'm just letting this trouble me in my head, but it's not troubling me in my heart. (laughs) Again, that don't work. That don't work. Abraham realized that there were certain things that he must refuse to consider. This would involve the mind, mental effort, mental discipline, a management of one's thoughts. Now, please hear me. Don't misunderstand me. This is where a lot of people get kind of squirrely right here. Faith is far more than than something mental. Faith is something far more than mind over matter. Why are we talking about this? These things must be understood. These things must be learned. These things must be practiced if we're going to keep the doubt from corrupting our faith. Faith is far more than just thinking positively. And anybody who tells you anything different from that is wrong. Faith is a substance from the other world that Father God has deposited in your spirit. Faith, He's given to every person the measure of faith. And we can exercise that faith and release that faith and use that faith as a tool, use that faith as a weapon, use that faith to move mountains out of our way. So when we talk about managing our thoughts in relationship to our faith, it's not that we're trying to, you know, somehow mind over matter, but when we talk about managing our thoughts in relationship to our faith, it's to keep the doubt from penetrating into our heart through the doorway of our minds. Abraham did not doubt in his heart because he did not consider with his mind the things that led him to doubt and weakened his faith. It's just that simple. Are you, are you following what I'm saying today? All right, stand with me. Praise God. Where does the time go? Amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Abraham did not doubt in his heart because he did not consider with his mind the things that led him to doubt and weakened his faith. As long as he he looked at his wife getting out of the shower, he was like, man, there's no way. There's no way. As long as he saw himself in the mirror, he's like, well, there's no way. He was weak, weak in faith. Couldn't lift that promise, couldn't grab hold of that promise, couldn't take the promise and run with it. It didn't take him long to figure out if he was going to be strong in faith and receive what God promised to him and and lay hold of what God said was true about him. There were certain things he was going to have to quit thinking about. There were certain things that he was going to have to stop considering. Because as long as he considered them, doubt snuck in. Doubt slipped in. 
corrupted his faith, kept him from receiving. Last point tonight. We've been asking this question for the last few weeks in different ways. We've been saying it. I mentioned it again tonight. Is it possible to only believe doubting nothing? Yes, it is. The Bible says it is. Jesus would have never told us to do it if it was impossible. But tonight we have a living example of this. It's Abraham, right? Did he start out there? No. Anybody remember how he started when God made him this promise? He laughed in God's face. I mean, that's, that's like doubt. <laughs> I mean, that's like doubt on steroids, right? He laughed in God's face when he first heard this. But notice, by managing his thoughts and by strategically focusing on what God said, by saying out of his mouth what God said, by calling himself what God called him, he fed his faith, he grew his faith, he strengthened his faith, he became strong in faith, and ultimately he became 100% convinced, fully persuaded. He went from not seeing how it was possible to not being able to see it any other way. Amen. Father, you're good to us. We thank you for this time together this evening. We thank you for what you're helping us understand and lay hold of. But Father, we know from your word it's not enough for us just to hear these things. Father, help us to practice these things. Help us to apply these things. Help us, Father, to, to consider our own lives and, and to pay very close attention to, to some of the subtle and even some of the in-your-face ways Satan tries to sneak doubt into our hearts through the, through the doorway of our minds. Father, show us what it is that we've been considering that's caused us to waver. Show us, Father, what it is that we've been focused on that, that, that has um, weakened our faith. And then also, Father, show us what it is that we need to focus on and even confess out of our mouths that'll make our faith strong and cause it to grow and make us steadfast immovable, always abounding in your work and what you've called us to do and what you've given to us freely. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much for being here. It, it, it really, really does mean uh, a lot to me for you to make the effort, and I pray that Father is um, blessing you for diligently seeking Him, rewarding you for diligently seeking Him. You be blessed. Good things coming. We'll see you Sunday, if not before.